have been to all of these shows over the last year, and by far this is my favorite. I want to emphasize the importance of what you're doing as lay apostles in the CMN. The Catholic Marketing Network has a service that the marketplace needs and the church needs. There's the distribution of a lot of Catholic religious items, but most of the people you talk to, they say, well, we really come for the networking. It's a great joy to be here. In fact, it was almost 10 years ago that I came to the Catholic Marketing Network for the first time. There was a friend and I putting out sacred music, and Ignatius Press picked it up and they showcased us. And before you knew it, we had sold 20,000 copies to people like you. And that sprung board a company that now has reach in about eight different countries. I found really good and you know very interesting because I like when people come from everywhere and we can learn a lot. We come to show something but they show us too so that's, uh, that's an amazing. This is always one of my favorite, favorite, favorite events. I always love coming here and being here because it's, uh, it's such a synergy to be around like-minded people with the same ideals, the same love for the church. So it's beautiful. Welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. I am Bill Snyder. It's great to be with you, and uh, I can't believe we're saying this. It's already July 15th. Uh, we are in the middle of summertime, and it is hard to believe we are here uh, in this beautiful, beautiful day. But uh, anyway, Ann DeSantis, my co-host, always joins me here on the podcast. Uh, welcome, Ann. How are you this evening? Doing great, Bill. It's great to be here. I'm excited for our guest as well. Yeah, it's, it's so wonderful. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Yes, I would love to. And I actually have his bio here from his latest book called Overcoming Sinful Thoughts, How to Realign Your Thinking and Defeat Harmful Ideas by Reverend T.G. Morrow. And I'll read you his bio. Is that Father T.G. Morrow worked for 12 years as an engineer before entering the seminary and being ordained a priest for the Archdiocese of Washington in 1982. He was host for three years from 1989 to 1992 of Catholic Faith Alive, 
a radio program in which he explained the Catholic faith. He's the co-founder of the St. Catherine Society and St. Lawrence Society for Single Women and Men, respectively, which are still active in the Washington, D.C. area. Father Morrow has an STL in Morrow Theology from the Dominican House of Studies and a doctorate in state sacred theology from the Pope John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family. His book, Christian <coughs> Dating in a Godless World, formerly Christian Courtship in an Oversex World, is now in its fourth printing, published by Sophia Institute Press, now available in Spanish and Portuguese. His other publications, uh, his other public's works include Be Holy, Achieving Chastity in a Pornographic World, Who's Who in Heaven, Overcoming Sinful Anger, Fatima in Belief, and Amazing Saints. All are his writings, all, excuse me, all of his writings can be seen at www.cfalive.com, or we could say cfalive.com. And again, this book is, the book that we're talking about this evening is Overcoming Sinful Thoughts, and how to realign your thinking and defeat harmful ideas. The book is available through Sophia Institute Press at sophiainstitute.com. Welcome, Father Morrow. Thank you so much for joining us on Sewing Hope. Thank you, man. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you. This is going to be a great conversation, Father. So really appreciate uh, you coming on tonight and being a part of uh, Sewing Hope. My pleasure. <laughs> so yeah, I, you, you've written a great book. I have it right in front of me, and I I love to make reference to it because you did a wonderful job with this book. And if I could, I would like to read the back cover of the book because it's not very long, and I think it will give our our audience some idea about this book. Okay. It says, How to realign your thinking and defeat harmful ideas. Satan is constantly at work, disturbing our peace, corrupting our thoughts, demoralizing us in our weaknesses and diverting our attention away from God. His goal to paralyze our spiritual efforts and mire us in a life of sin. Sin begins in our minds, so we must train ourselves to root out evil thoughts before they take hold or d deter them from entering in the first place. In this powerful, life-changing book, Father Thomas Morrow shows us how the devil uses our thoughts to throw us off balance and to draw us into sin. He also explains how our thoughts can dissuade us from doing good and even inhibit us from developing intimacy with God. Father Morrow will show you, now I'm gonna list these few, four, five things here, why God allows suffering in the world, John Paul II's pivotal advice from controlling your sexual desires, the reason Satan wants you to aim for purgatory, why you must never regard confession as embarrassing, and how to prevent loneliness from becoming the devil's playground. We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, in, and, you know, Father, uh, this is a great topic, but um, one of the things that we always do on this show, uh, and it sounds like you have an absolutely fascinating journey to the priesthood anyway, um, we, would, we would love for you just to share with us a little bit of your own personal journey, um, you know, to, to faith, to the priesthood, however you want to, you know, whatever the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart tonight, we would love it for, you know, you just to share that. And then, of course, we can dive into the book, because I think always giving our listeners a little bit of context and, um, and, and backstory uh, always helps as we flesh out, you know, the book a little bit here on the podcast. 
Sure, happy to do that. Yeah, I uh, I was raised in uh, New York City, um, early years in uh, the Bronx in Riverdale, New York. I went to a Catholic school with the Sisters of Charity, were who were really good. They were really good, and they uh, were big on Fatima. So they got me uh, sold on Fatima from a from a young age. Um, not as young as I wish I had been sold on it because I didn't start praying the rosary till I was a freshman in high school, which I had started when I was seven years old. But anyway, so, um, but that ones that instilled in me the, the information on, um, on Fatima and the importance of uh, praying the rosary uh, every day for world peace. I figured if we're going to have world peace uh, it wouldn't be my fault. So I started when I was a freshman <laughs> in high school. By the time we had moved to Connecticut, and uh, I, uh, in my early years, I'd want to be a priest. Uh, in fact, I broke up with my first grade girlfriend, saying there was no future to our relationship. I was going into the priesthood. <laughs> it would be a few years yet, of course. But uh, And then when I was a sophomore in high school, I... Uh, I discovered girls again, and I said, oh, maybe I don't want to become a priest. I want to get married. So I was looking for a wife, um, <laughs> not not as a uh, sophomore in high school, but uh, in college and, and after college. Uh, and uh, But I kept praying the rosary all the way long, and that uh, that's my saving grace, I think. Uh, so um, I went to Cornell University, I graduated in 1965, Moved to Los Angeles and took a huge aircraft in engineering. Lived on the beach, um, but I kept the faith and I, I uh, actually signed up to teach religious education uh, in in the parish there. So that kept me uh, kept me close to God, and uh, I um, came close to uh, wanted to marry somebody in college. A uh, very lovely girl. She was actually from California herself. And then uh, when I lived on the beach in Los Angeles, actually in Playa del Rey, uh, I uh, met a girl who, who I thought would be a great candidate for marriage. And uh, uh, we dated for a while, but that didn't work out. So I moved back east, uh, took a job in New York for a while, and then uh, moved to Massachusetts, took a job up there. Uh, met another young woman uh, whom I actually proposed to. And her response was, probably. And that's what my mother and my father, so I thought that sounded pretty good at the time. But her probably was not nearly as good as my mother's. So that didn't work out. I moved to Washington, D.C. in uh, 1976 to take a job down here. And um, it was about a year later that uh, I felt a very long call. And um, I had already started to go to daily mass um, around 1975. So I was going to daily mass and praying several rosaries a day and uh, asking the Lord to tell me what my vocation was, which I was cer certain was to get married. And so uh, he surprised me and said, <laughs> uh, I think I want you to become a priest. And I said, are you sure? I mean, I've, I've been looking for a wife. And uh, he was sure. And so uh, I entered the seminary in 1977 and uh, was ordained in 1982. And I've been in the Archdiocese of Washington 
for almost 40 years as a priest. And I've had 40, 39 years of happiness as a priest, I'm happy to say. Wow. That's so beautiful. What a beautiful journey. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that with uh, all of us. Uh, you know, I think the twists and turns, um, you know, always, um, you know, in our in our vocational journeys are are so good because I think there's a lot of people out there who can be discouraged that, you know, you're, you know, you're going one way, then the other way, then one way, then the other way, and people get discouraged. But uh, I think finally reaching that, that point, um, you know, and, and realizing that this is what God wanted you to do with your life is so beautiful. So thank you uh, for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. Yeah, I thank you too. And I'm fascinated not only by your story, but of your book, your new book. And I'm a friend of Sophia Institute Press, and I thank them that they asked me to do a book review of your book, and I did. And I found it to be a very good book. And I thought one thing that we could do, Father, if it's okay with you, because I think some of your chapters, well, namely, I would say all of your chapters are amazing. But the way that you did it was that you took some of those like lies that people think and feel and say having to do with their lives and their faith and that it's it's sort of a, a trap for them and so I, there was a few of them that I thought we could address on this show and looking at your book in chapter one one of those lies is I am the best and I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit what does it mean when somebody says hey I'm the best I'm, I'm good as I am what what does that lead to well, okay, and, and the, the root of that is pride, and pride is at the root of every sin. So uh, the um, there was a wonderful uh, apparition uh, for St. Margaret Cortona, who is one of my favorite saints. She's a Reformed sinner, uh, the, the female counterpart of St. Augustine. But the Lord appeared to her and showed her a magnificent throne in heaven, and he said, tell your fathers, the, the, the friars minor, that is the Franciscans, that the splendid throne which you are, um, are, are seeing uh, among the angels was that of Lucifer. And my elect, Francis, is uh, seated there uh, today in resplendent glory because of his humility. So humility is extremely important. If we're going to love, we're going to learn to love anyone else. And in fact, and marriage is an extremely important, important uh, virtue. We actually give our uh, couples in marriage prep uh, a, a prayer for humility. It's based on a prayer by uh, supposedly by Cardinal Mary Del Valle, but uh, certainly of, of humility. And it's so important that we uh, develop that, uh, that sense of, of um, seeing God as everything and seeing ourselves as nothing. And the one who <laughs> had this nailed down very well was St. John of the Cross. He said, to, te- to, re- to reach satisfaction in everything, desire satisfaction in nothing. The possession of everything, desire the possession of nothing. To arrive at being all, desire to be nothing. To come to the knowledge of everything, desire the knowledge of nothing. So uh, it's extremely important that we pray for the virtue of humility. And uh, we try to uh, uh, accept in our hearts the fact that God is big 
and we are little, and uh, and do as St. Francis did, and as did St. Teresa of Lisieux, try to be a servant of everyone we meet. No, oh, that, that was a good explanation. And your chapters are really, uh, I think you did a wonderful job with these chapters because there's a total, it looks like, of 29 or 30 or so reflections. <coughs> and, and, and they're all very good, I have to say. Um, can we discuss a few more of them? Because I think some of them are really worth discussing. Another one you have is, I don't have to help the poor because they don't help themselves. And I think that's a great one because this is the Sewing Hope podcast. So we're all about the poor and helping those who are poor in spirit. We'd love to hear your reflections on that. Yeah, it's so important that we uh, are aware of our obligation to help the poor. Of course, our Lord said in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you did not give me to eat, thirsty and you did not give me to drink, and you go into eternal punishment. So it's extremely important that we embrace that teaching of Holy Scripture and be very happy to give away uh, our money and be, be generous uh, with the poor. Um, the, uh, you have the, the story of the, of the sheep and the goats, as I mentioned, Matthew 25. You also have uh, in Luke chapter 16, the poor man in Lazarus covered with sores, and the poor man died and uh, was carried away to heaven. The rich man died, and he uh, was buried in, in, in Haiti, where he, Hades, where he was, not Haiti, <laughs> where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham with Lazarus and said, Father, have mercy on me. Uh, said Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in these flames. So, uh, it's, it's so important that we develop a sense of that. And uh, th there's so many poor people in this world. I just read an interesting book on uh, uh, a man that I'm pretty sure is going to be canonized someday. And that is uh, Father Al Schwartz. And he helped the poor in Korea. They were mm -hmm. destitute. They were living in garbage dumps and picking through the garbage for their, for their dinner. And his whole life was about helping these people. And then you have Mother Teresa is another wonderful example of somebody who's totally dedicated to help the poor and the poor. And yeah. uh, so we need to catch, catch that and uh, realize uh, what our Lord said uh, about helping the poor. Uh, St. John Paul II said in 1979 in Yankee Stadium, you must never be content to leave the poor the crumbs from your table, from your feast. You must take your from your substitute and not your abundance to help them. And you must treat them like guests at your family table. So we're all called to live simply. And uh, the, one of the best books on that is by uh, Father Thomas Dubay, Blessed Are You Poor. And he points out that all of us are called to, to live simply and to share what happens with those who are in need. And Pope Paul VI had a wonderful quote from, from uh, St. Ambrose saying, when you're to the poor, you're not giving, you're giving to him what is his, because what has been given to the good of all, you've uh, chosen to use yourself. So uh, it's a wonderful obligation and it's a beautiful obligation. And it's something that enriches us to help the poor. 
Mm. Yeah, wonderful reflections. And I, like I said, I can't say enough about how good of a job you did with these these meditations, because that's what all it's all about. And they're not very long chapters, but they offer a good deal of information and and things to ponder for all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, another one that you have here, which I think is good for us to th talk about, is uh, your number 14 in the book. I can't control my feelings. That's just who I am. I mean, you hear people talk about that. They've been through certain things in their lives, and it's so hard <coughs> for them to let go of those feelings that might keep them from developing a closer relationship with God. What would you have to say to those people? Yeah, this actually happened with a woman that I was, uh, I was and uh, she actually said that, I can't control my feelings, that's just, that's just me. And uh, I said, well, it's true, you can't control your feelings, but uh, you can control what you do with them, and you can control which feelings you allow to uh, affect you, and which feelings you... Uh, refuse to allow them to overcome um, your heart and to uh, to dominate your your uh, understanding of life. So uh, we don't have to uh, uh, embrace and uh, dwell on our negative feelings. We can just say, "Oh well, yeah, that's a feeling. That's a bad feeling, and I do feel bad about that." But um, I'm not going to let that drag me down and ruin my peace and ruin my joy. Today we celebrate St. Bonaventure. He was a very joyful saint. And um, we need to strive for that joy that the saints have. And our joy should be based not on our feelings, but on uh, on the fact that we found the pearl of great and that we found God and that we have a relationship with God. And then we have the opportunity to share that relationship with, with the world. So... Uh, we can govern the way we think. We can't. We can't control our feelings, but we can control what we do with them, and refuse to let them define us as persons, and choose other feelings to define us. Yeah, you know, Father, I think that's a really good point, and I think that's honestly very foreign, very very foreign to a lot of young people <laughs> out there in the world today. Uh, a lot of a lot of these uh, kids that are graduating. You know, high school and, and college these days um, are, are told, you know, if it feels good, do it. If it's a, you know, a pleasurable thing, do it. And if it's not, if it's not something that is a is a pleasurable or a desirable thing, avoid it. And, you know, I wonder if you can speak to that just a little bit as well, because, you know, so many young people out there today, and there's probably quite a few listening to this podcast, uh, often say you know you know they, they 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 don't have that moment of centering they don't center themselves to to on on the cross to be able to say is this going to help me achieve salvation or is it going to drag me further away from it and so you know with with somebody who is primarily living off of their feelings and you know, as we said, we can't control them. But man, if we just constantly live off all the feelings we're feeling throughout the day, we end up not have, having this productive day. We end up, you know, far away from from the cross and from and from the center of the cross. So maybe if you can touch on, you know, how 
and what are some steps for young people who might be struggling with that to recenter themselves on the cross? How how do you go about doing that? Are there are there some you know tips and that you might have? Yeah, well, um, basically, if you live for your feelings, if you live to feel good, that's uh, the pleasure principle. That's that's called hedonism, and um, it's very far from the Christian life. The Christian life is the fact that we uh, live by the truth and embrace the truth. And Jesus said he was true. So we live by the truth as to what is good for people and what is not so good for people. And uh, this is a, uh, a way of expressing natural law. Natural law is uh, the law that's written in our hearts. It's written in our being, our very makeup as persons, as to can fulfill us as persons and was, will not fulfill us as persons. And uh, we have to look carefully at that. And if you look carefully uh, at the social sciences, when they uh, discuss, when they speak of religion, you find social sciences are our best friends. They, they always come up with the fact that people that live the gospel and live the good news and, li- as you say, live the cross because the cross is an essential uh, element of the gospel, live the cross and uh, uh, denying ourselves in order to uh, surrender to God. Uh, those are the people that us, and so that that's shown over and over and over again in clinical studies that uh, that living the gospel is truly the way to happiness. So uh, this uh, embracing feelings and living by feelings. Um, that's uh, a way of the world and a way that uh, Satan would love to have us live. Uh, just live, you know, just enjoy yourself and get all the pleasure you can get. You can get. It doesn't make people happy. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't make people happy. And, and thank you, Bill. That was a great question that you had for him. And I wanted to also ask you a question in regard to, quote, the poor. Because many of us do think of the homeless, people who don't have enough money, people who don't have enough food. Um, and I do think that there's some people who are poor. And by that, it could be poor in spirit, but it also could be what I call people who are marginalized. Um, as a matter of fact, I just wrote my own book called Love and Care for the Marginalized. And it's the fact that the marginalized people are really all around us. They're in our, in our churches, extended families, they're in our, our workplaces. They're in our uh, groups that we belong to in a community. They're in our neighborhoods. So I don't know, Father, if you would agree, but I do think that the poor are a lot closer than we think. The poor are a lot what? Closer than we think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, what some people are are suffering, some of the poverty that some people suffer is the poverty of uh, lacking friendship. Yes. Friendship is extremely important to people, and uh, it's extremely fulfilling. I read a book by Mike Aquilina about friendship and the fathers of the church, and um, I'm excited to read about that because I'm very interested in the friendship. I'm writing a book on marriage, and friendship is extremely important in marriage, and it's also important in our, in our life journey. And uh, sometimes pursuing friendship is not very exciting, but it's very enriching uh, in the long run. Uh, it's kind of a quite uh, uh, richness and joy that we receive from friendship. 
So yes, we we are walking with all kinds of people that have all kinds of of, uh, of needs, and it's not only uh, material needs, but it is. I mean, there's a lot of material needs, and right. I have a story yes. in my book of a wonderful couple in one of my previous parishes who um, was they were having trouble uh, paying their bills, and the husband, the former. A Protestant said, honey, I think we need to start tithing, giving 10% back to God. And she said, wait, what? are you crazy? We don't have enough pay the bills. And he said, no, I think we need to do it. And we need to step out in faith. So they did. And everything got better and better. And they got a, a house for way under the market price. Uh, they did so well. And uh, one couple I met in Philadelphia, uh, they had... Uh, uh, they invited me over to dinner, and I, I, there was barely enough room to sit in the dining room. And um, they told me that they were tithing uh, years ago, you know, shortly after they got married. And they went to the priest, and they said, well, we couldn't decide whether we should um, tithe to, to give 10% of our gross or rent. So they went to the priest, and the priest must have been Irish because he asked the question with a question. He said, do you want your blessings net or gross? And they said, oh, yeah, we'll give 10% of our gross. And uh, and I couldn't believe the, the, the little place they were living in. And then it all made sense when they said, oh, yeah, we just we just purchased a house down several miles from here. And we got a great deal. And, and uh, we're moving in in another month. So then it all fit because God does does uh, give us more than we can uh we could observe and more than ever we could give him. So we need to keep giving back to him because he's going to uh, expand everything we give. I was preaching about this the other day and I said, you know, at, uh, at the great mutual funds now, I mean, they may be giving five or 10% a year or whatever, but uh, God's giving 10,000%. He promised a hundredfold uh, for the things that we would give him. So that's a really good investment. <laughs> what a story yeah that's yeah. beautiful thank you for sharing on that uh i thought maybe we could touch on a few more or whatever however time for but another one which is number 20 in your book is i don't have to love my enemies because they are clearly doing evil and i have to say i've heard people that i know say that like that why should i forgive this person they're a bad person anyway and nobody likes them, and they've done a lot of bad things. Why the heck should I forgive this person? So I don't know if you have anything to say on that one. Yeah, it's a good thing God doesn't do that to us. We'd all be in big trouble uh, because we have bad days uh, when uh, I'm sure God doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, particularly like what we're doing. And... Uh, and we have the power to do as our Lord said we must do. Uh, you must uh, you must love your enemies. And uh, and then after he said that, he uh, he said you must be made perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Loving your enemies is pretty much a graduate degree in spirituality, uh, so uh, it doesn't come easily. But we need to remind ourselves over and over again that uh, I. I I want to be be willing to work uh, for the good of people that 
are, have been unkind to me, people that have been mean to me, people that have been uh, mean to, to a lot of people. And uh, so sometimes we can, uh, we can show kindness to people uh, despite their evil, and then something good happens. And uh, I remember a couple of girls in our youth group years ago, um, they, they didn't like each other. One of them really didn't like her. And uh, our youth minister kind of encouraged them to uh, be each other. And what happened was they became, they ended up becoming great friends. So uh, you never know uh, what will happen if you start loving your enemies. And, uh, and it's not easy to do. You don't, you're not going to like your enemy because if you like them, they wouldn't be your enemy. But you can be concerned for their good. That's the love we're talking about. Uh, himself for the good of the beloved without conditions. That's the love that Jesus wants us to have. And that's the love that he taught us and that God shows to us. Yeah, you know, I really liked how you just phrased that, Father. Uh, concerned for their good. You know, when, when you're talking about love of enemies, uh, it doesn't mean you have to like them, but but I really like how you phrased that because uh, that is a that is a beautiful thing, and I think that's something that, especially in our culture right now today, with all the things that are swirling around in it, uh, we really we really have to be concerned for the good of um, all those people that we disagree with that we don't like. Uh, and that is really right. hard to do. It's really hard to do. Um, but but I like how you phrase that. That we are concerned for their good, and that and that we want things that are going to um, uplift them and and make them a a better person. And so, um, yes. you know, I uh, I really really like how you phrase that. So excellent. Very often, people um, when they. Uh, uh, you know, they don't like somebody or I, I hate so um, I just ask them, well, are you willing to pray for them? And uh, that's the first step in loving somebody is to pray for them. Yeah. And uh, I say, you don't want them to go to hell, do you? And um, <laughs> almost everybody says, no, I don't want them to go to hell. So I'm going to pray for them and pray for they reform, mm -hmm. that they reform and turn back to God. No, that, that's a great way. And Bill, again, thank you for that good reflection there, too, from you. Now, I also think of, uh, I happen to work for a foundation, it's called the St. Raymond Anatas Foundation, where we minister to Catholics who are affected by divorce and separation. And I don't know about you, but I have definitely talked to many people who have uh, broken relationships where, like you just said about the thing about hell, that they don't wish the person to go to hell. There's sometimes it happens that when there's a broken relationship, there's such evil between the two of them that there is a person who might wish that for someone. And I hate to say that, it's very sad, but sometimes that's people sad. do that's wish sad. evil. They wish evil on an ex-husband or whoever, you know? So I don't know if you had anything to say about that. Over the years, you've talked to people who've suffered from broken relationships. Yeah, divorce is such an ugly thing. And um, I don't know what percentage of divorces, but it's probably pretty high. Uh, where the, the 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 two people are really hateful to each other, and um, in fact, I know one situation where uh, a woman is doing everything she can to uh, make her children dislike their parent, their father, and uh, which I think is really awful. I mean, you know, just if you don't like them, don't like them, but don't try to get everybody else to dislike. Them. 
So, uh, but uh, that's an example of where, you know, and there are some divorces where um, the couple, the husband and wife are, even though they're separated and divorced, they're, they're very kind to each other. And one woman, her, her, her ex-husband died, um, and she said, I just lost my best friend. So she loved this man, but she couldn't live with him because he was uh, a big gambler and a big drinker and so on. But she loved she loved him so much, and it was it was great to hear her say that. And I mentioned that in, in the in the uh, in the funeral that she said that that was her that was her best friend uh, that had died, and uh, she died some short time later. So uh, not she didn't die her. Uh, her her parents had just died uh, of COVID, and he died of COVID because he drove him to the hospital. So, um, so there there are situations where divorced people uh, have stepped up and tried to live this gospel of, of loving your enemy, and that's beautiful to hear. I, I I went to one man who was dying of cancer, and uh, it was his wife that called me. And he said, I got to tell you my story. He said, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago, uh, I left my wife and I moved in with a woman and I lived with her for a couple of years. And then I got cancer and she kicked me out. And I, I asked my wife, would you take me in? And she said she would. And so here is his wife who was treated so badly and she brought this, accepted this got her into him and his, his home. And she actually called me, the priest, to come and give give him the sacraments, which I thought was a wonderful example of somebody wow. that had been terribly wrong, that uh, showed tremendous love for their spouse, their ex, whatever. Wow. Oh, that is beautiful. Thank you for that story, especially for me, because I deal with this stuff all the time with the foundation that I represent and get to talk to people who are affected by divorce. So I, I thank you so much for that encouraging encouragement for the for that particular situation. Another one in your book you say is I pray a little every day and attend Sunday Mass. That's enough. And that's from number twenty seven in the book. Did you have anything to say about that one? Because that's Yeah, a, I have a lot to say about one. that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. people who say that. Because, you know, as a priest, I'm always telling people the most important passage in all of Scripture is that when they asked Jesus what they must do to be saved, he said, you must love God, or to enter heaven, to, to have eternal life, you must love God with your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's what the gospel is about. Uh, elsewhere, he says, uh, you be made perfect, as we just heard, uh, uh, for the Lord your God is perfect. Leviticus 19, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that's also quoted in First Peter. Uh, and so, um, the, the Lord tells us over and over again, that he wants to be ho us to be holy and blameless in his sight, as it says in Ephesians. So, um, the if you look at the saints, who well, certainly were the happiest people that ever lived, they were very strong 
in, in praying a great deal. What happens is, it's like, as our Lord said, it's like the mustard seed. It starts very small. You start praying. You maybe pray. I get people, I try to get people to pray at least two decades of the rosary every day if they didn't have a strong prayer life. And I said, you should start with that and know that our Blessed Mother has asked us to pray five years every day for world peace. So start with two, and nine months from now, try to crank it up a little bit and do a little bit more. And uh, every year, try to do a little bit more to work your way up to five mysteries. Now, five mysteries is not uh, enough to become a saint, but it's, it's certainly an intermediate goal that everybody should have. The equivalent of least of five mysteries, which is 15, 20 minutes a day of meditation on the life of Christ. And a lot of people, of course, don't realize that the rosary is not about praying Hail Marys, but it's about meditating on the life of Christ. So if you look at the saints, you see how they prayed long, long hours, and they're very happy about doing that. But you can't start with that. I gave a talk years ago in Washington uh, to young adults, and I mentioned the importance of prayer and um, daily mass and uh, holy hours and so on. Well, I heard the talk, and he said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start praying the rosary every day. I'm going to start going to mass every day. I'm going to start making holy hours, and I'm going to become holy. Well, you can't do that. He he After two weeks, he stopped because you, you just can't jump in at a high level of prayer. You have to build it up. Poco a poco, I keep telling people, poco a poco, little by little. Uh, you can't become a saint overnight. And uh, But it's important that we continue to grow and realize that we need to, we need to grow. And that, and that it really is like that mustard seed where it starts small and then we start realizing what is happening in our lives. And we say, wow, I, gotta, I, can, I can do more. I can do more. And we're called to a very intimate relationship with, with the Lord. We're called to a marriage with God. So um, to be in a marriage with somebody who's holy, you got to be holy. If you're, if you're only uh, barely religious, it's not going to work. And so that's somebody who pursues just living in the state of grace or not trying to become as our Lord said, be holy as I that you got him holy. Um, no, it's, it's, it's not, it's not work. It doesn't work. I asked somebody once, I don't like, well, it's hit or miss. If I have time, I pray. I said, no, that's, you got it backwards. If you're going to love God, you got to make a commitment. So many minutes a day. I don't care if it's only five minutes a day, but you got to make a commitment and do it every day. Build your day around that five minutes. And then as time goes on, you begin to see what that does for you. Uh, I began to see what praying the rosary did for me when I was a junior in high school. I was looking up at the stations of the cross and I said, you know, this is working. I'm going to keep doing this. And uh, so I, I kept going and, and I grew in faith, uh, especially when I was looking for a good spouse. I prayed more. I said, if you want to know your vocation, you better, better start go get going. Uh, you're 30 years old or whatever I was at the time. Uh, you need to work at this. And, uh, and then after a while, I started going to Mass every day. That was a great, great change in my life. And that's a great, great thing to do because the Mass is the source and summit of the Christian life. There's nothing, 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 nothing that brings us more grace than the sacrifice of the Mass. Beautiful. Yeah, you're oh. so right. You're so right. Yes. I agree. I agree. 
And now we got about 10 minutes left of this podcast, but there's a couple more points in the book that I thought were worth us discussing. Um, toward the end, number 28 is, I'm just aiming for purgatory. I have heard that before. And uh, where does that lead when somebody says, I'm just aiming for purgatory? Yeah, well, it, it's, uh, it, it's um, uh, in many cases, a solipsism. That is, I'm just concerned about um, my own comfort, uh, but uh, first of all, anyone who knows what purgatory is uh, would never say that. <laughs> purgatory is extremely painful, extremely painful, and all the saints that are written about it have written that it is very difficult. In fact, there's a book out there that uh, quotes so many saints uh, by Father Schuppe. It's, uh, the name of the book, oddly enough, is Purgatory, and uh, it's it's really uh, a thing. So uh, the Lord didn't call us to live in the strait of grace. He called us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you die in the state of grace, but you didn't become holy, then the, you, the, you're going to spend time in purgatory. And anyone who really to, to spend time in purgatory needs to do a little research and uh, find out exactly what goes on in purgatory. Uh, because uh, uh, St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas said there's twofold loss in purgatory. One is the delay of the divine vision and the, uh, the pain of fire. And uh, the word P-O-R in Greek means fire. So uh, that's how they pure, used to purify things with fire. So uh, people like uh, Alexavio, he said, I want to become a saint, and I will not be happy until I become one. St. Teresa, you cannot be half a saint. You must be a whole saint or no saint at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and this is a quote that's attributed to St. Augustine, but we're not sure that he said it. To fall in love with God is the most romantic, the greatest romance. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest human achievement. So uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful trip. And anyone who wants to cut it short and just say, well, I just want to go to purgatory. Uh Uh-uh, you need to check it out. It's an (laughs) awful, awful place. And uh, uh, it's an awful uh, situation to be in. So we need to take seriously uh, the gospel. And uh, those who, who teach the faith and don't talk about uh, how much God expects of us are making a big mistake. In fact, uh, that, that's probably one of the reasons we have problems in the church because not enough people tell the parishioners, hey, God expects perfection. He expects mm-hmm. a lot from us. And uh, we don't arrive at that overnight, but we have to work toward that goal and know that that goal is possible with the grace of God. That's, that's the whole thing. We need God's grace. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And Father, you know, I've heard a few of my friends say, uh, a couple of them talk about purgatory as well, you know, that if we aim for purgatory then and we miss, well, where, where do we end up? Uh, but if we aim for heaven and we miss, well, where do we end up, right? Like, I mean, it, you know, it's a, it, it's a totally different mindset. Like if we just aim for purgatory and we miss, miss out on purgatory, well, the, the alternative uh, isn't so hot. 
And if we uh, miss, yeah, you know, we're, we're toast. Yeah, we're toast. So I mean, I think if we were to uh, aim for heaven and miss, uh, and we end up in purgatory, at least we, we at least we know we're eventually going to see the beatific vision, which is, um, you know, uh, which is the goal. I mean, that's the goal of life. So uh, to to make it to heaven, uh, which I think is such an important point you pointed out for all of us here tonight, is remember your goal in life that it is to get to heaven. Um, and so uh, and so, thank you for that. And and, and and yeah, and that goal is to become holy. And uh, because only holy people live in heaven, and they don't use bad language in heaven, they don't—they're not mean in heaven, they're, they're not lazy in heaven, they're—they're they're doing, they're good people in heaven, and and they—they they didn't learn it, uh, the, the moment they got in heaven, they learned it before they left here. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's beautiful. Hey, let's go to that last question I had for you before we end the podcast. Number twenty-nine in your book is. Heaven sounds boring to me. I thought that was an interesting one. Yeah, the kids for for the kids that that that's uh, what them say, and uh, I didn't have a good understanding of heaven when I was a teenager. That's for sure. Uh, but Fulton Sheen uh, has a great insight into heaven, and he says that uh, uh, heaven in heaven there's no time, so that all the joyful things, the beautiful things that you can do, you can do them all at once. So there's time for everything. Because there's no time, and everything's happening at the at the same time, so and that makes sense because um, in on Earth, up and bored because things kind of move slowly on Earth, uh, but in heaven they don't they don't move slowly. I mean everything's moves extremely, and if you uh, I tell I've often told people have you ever hugged somebody and wished it could last forever, and a lot of people said yeah I have done that, and I said well in heaven you can do that. And you can hug a hundred people at once, or a thousand people at once, because everything's happening at once. So uh, it's a beauty to think that you have all these friendships uh, with some so, such wonderful people, and you have no problem keeping up with them because you can spend quote time with them, you know, for forever. And uh, so, and in heaven, you never have to say goodbye to anybody. That's a beautiful thing. You're always connected to people, and especially to God. And uh, God is the more most beautiful spouse that we could ever dream of or hope to 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 uh, to see. And when men tell me, you know, Father, I look at women and I I, I don't always look at them the right way. I want you to think of the two things. Number one, uh, you want to thank God for putting that beauty there. Thank you for what well, you did a really nice job, woman. And secondly. If that's how the copy looks, I can't wait to be married to the original. Because a beautiful person is created in the image and likeness of God. And all the beauty we see in this world is of the beauty of God. And St. Francis de Sales said, everything we see should remind us of God. Mm. Amen. Thank you. Well said. Hey, this was a great podcast. It went so fast. It did. And we only have a few <laughs> more minutes left. It let let me ask you this: Is there any either call to action or anything that you want to communicate to our listeners before we end? Yeah, there's a chapter in the book that I've wanted to write for years, and it's about suffering. Uh, and there's some people that say uh, there can't be a God because there's so much suffering in our world. Well, the gospel explains to us why there's suffering. And if you look at Jesus on the cross, you see the reason for suffering. Um, Jesus had to suffer to make up for our sins. And that's why there's suffering in the world. If there were no sin, 
there'd be no suffering. And God has it all worked out so that every time we suffer, it brings about good. And uh, we have to trust him. As it says in uh, Romans 28, all things work unto good for those who love God. That's awesome, Father. <laughs> that's that's so great. Um, I would I would love it if you would, uh, as we close here tonight on the Sewing Hope podcast, if you wouldn't mind giving us your priestly blessing for not only our ministry but anyone listening uh, now and uh, in the future to this podcast. Uh, that would be so wonderful. Sure. Okay. May Almighty God you to send His Spirit down upon you and guide you in all that you do. And guide your people to hear through God and to hear the hope that you give people. And may Almighty God bless you and all your listeners in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 That was beautiful. <laughs> and I want to again invite everyone to buy this book. It's Overcoming Sinful Thoughts, How to Realign Your Thinking and Defeat Harmful Ideas by Reverend T. J. Morrow. It's available through Sophia Institute Press at sophiainstitute.com. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you. God bless you. God yeah. bless you. Folks, uh, thank you for tuning in today and listening. Uh, we hope that you uh, continue to follow and like our ministry, uh, very simply patchworkheart.org and desantis.com and uh, nonatus.org as well. But until next time, from all of us here at Patchwork Heart Ministry, I'm Bill Snyder. Keep beating to your Catholic heart and sowing hope into broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sowing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2.